Greetings to our global neighbors and all the ships at sea. From coast to coast, border to border, this is Message Traffic from Washington, D.C., presented by the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs. Hello, this is Valentina Doran from the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs. This week on Message Traffic, Principal Director Justin Russell interviews Jacqueline Charles, journalist from the Miami Herald. We discuss current issues surrounding Haiti, including gangs, the assassination of President Jovel Moise, and the importance of Haitian youth in civil society. Jacqueline Charles has reported on Haiti and the English-speaking Caribbean for the Miami Herald for over a decade. She is a Pulitzer Prize finalist for her coverage of the 2010 Haiti earthquake. She was awarded the 2018 Maria Morris Cabot Prize, the most prestigious award for coverage of the Americas. Jacqueline is a founding member of the Carolina Association of Black Journalists, a college-affiliated chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists. Jacqueline served as a co-producer on the Emmy-winning film, We Are Fed Up, which was broadcasted in more than 50 PBS markets in the United States. We are so delighted to have her on this week. Here's our interview. Jacqueline Charles, thank you so much for joining us here on Message Traffic. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's let's start before we get into the 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 current picture of what's happening in Haiti but let's start with kind of how did we get here and a little bit of background it you know whenever we think of Haiti you know we think of it being part of the island of Jamaica and this beautiful Caribbean island but it, it just seems that we also think of Haiti we think of you know, natural disasters, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, and the political unrest ever since the Duvalier years. How did we get to what we see today as the current state in Haiti? That's really a complicated question. <laughs> but I think what people have to remember, and I think you sort of hinted at it, the Duvalier years. Um, a lot of people who are not Haitian, uh, they don't know Haiti prior to this current context that we're in. But, you know, we have to remember this was a country that was under dictatorship uh, for decades, father and son, almost 30 years. But uh, even before that, and even within that, it was a country that was developing. This is a country where you first started to see tourism in the Caribbean take off. American movie stars, um, celebrities went there to vacation, went there to have fun. The first Club Med uh, was actually opened there. Uh, and so what happened? You started to see the fall of the dictatorship. So Haiti has been in this 34 year of years of trying to apply this version or definition of democracy that the U.S. and the international community has prescribed. And I think that that has been the biggest challenge. And what we're seeing today is a country that is struggling with democracy, where the people don't really believe 
in this version of democracy. They don't believe um, in elections. They always feel that their leaders are chosen for them and that really their, their voices and their votes don't count. And we've gone from a period of where you saw dictatorship-controlled institutions to weak to today, basically non-existent institutions. And I think if we think about our own experience in this country in the last couple of years, um, when we had a certain president in charge, you know, Americans could always uh, take faith or have a little bit of hope in the sense that you've got a Supreme Court, you've got an appellate court, you know, you've got this institution to fight back or to say no. Well, in Haiti, there's nothing. You don't you don't have that protection between you and whoever's in charge. And so what we have been unfortunately witnessing, especially since 2010, which was the major 7.0 um, earthquake that devastated the country, but almost destroyed Port-au-Prince, killing more than 300,000 um, based on the figures from the Haitian government, is you've seen the country just go downhill from there. Is, is it, Jackie, I, I guess the question is, you know, when we, when we think, you, you bring up the issue of the struggle with democracy on the island, it is, I've heard one uh, I, I've heard one foreign policy specialist refer to Haiti as uh, organized, chaotic democracy. Is that a fair assessment? Is it is is, is it overreaching? Because nobody's really figured out what the government, I guess, is in Haiti. You know, since we're talking about foreign policy, you know, I think that one of the problems I've seen as a journalist on the ground is that over the years, foreign actors, um, I, I have a phrase I often say, um, is that oftentimes the United States is a day late and a dollar short with Haiti. Um, right. When they take a decision, um, it's always sort of behind the eight ball or it's, it, it's too late and now the things have become more complicated than if a decision had been taken earlier. And what I have witnessed is that a series of, of, of decisions that have been taken that have sort of led you to this point. So, so let me give you an example. The Haitian National Police, which is the right. one area that the U.S. actually has a say-so in because it provides a large amount of funding. Um, you know, it has provided millions of dollars over, over the last couple of years. It it's involved in the rebuilding of that police force after um, the U.S. supported or pushed um, President right. Aristide to get rid of the army. And so a couple of years ago, uh, you know, there was supposed to be a vetting process as an example. And we, as journalists and even people in the human rights sectors, were basically hearing reports about how under former President Michel Matelli at the time, people were being allowed to go into the police who were not qualified. They didn't meet the age requirements. They didn't, they didn't meet the background checks. They were being sent off to Ecuador um, to do these training. And so you had this integration into the police force. And so here was an area where uh, the U.S., and even Canada, which is also another supporter, and the UN could have put their foot down and say, no, right. we're, we're not going to do this. But you do your homework. Don't go on the rumors, you do your homework. They didn't, they allowed it They they, they, they allowed it to happen. And so what we've seen, we've seen, you know, over the years, we, we've seen this deterioration of, in, in, in the police, right? right. Um, recently they allowed um, a union, the whole issue of, of the union came up. Now, 
you know, for outsiders, they would say, what's wrong with that? We have police unions all over the world. But in a country where you don't have institutions, we've witnessed the corruption of, 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 of these unions and, and their involvement in integration in politics. When you open the door for that in a police force, you are also now inviting more problems. And so earlier this year, you saw when you had a phantom group of police officers called Phantom 509, 509 being the area code of Haiti that were basically masked and going around and creating havoc, you know, um, setting cars on fire, throwing, you know, the, the same with, with government buildings. Um, but they were also at the same time talking about the poor working conditions of police officers and right. all of the things that the union were talking about. So so that's when I when I look at it, it's like, you know, today there's a, a conversation happening in Haiti where they're saying the U.S. is always picking winners and losers. And so they want the United States out of um, out of Haiti's affairs. But at the same time, some of the very same people who are making these criticism are also looking to the U.S. to put its hand on a balance scale. But how we want you to put it in because they want to also take charge. They want to have a, a, a transitional government. I, you know, I, I think everybody in the room needs to stop fooling themselves and understand that this is a country where there's always been foreign interference. The problem is, is that 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 interference over the years has not always um, done good by Haiti. Right. And it's so, often led to problems, especially with elections. When you look at Haiti's current crisis, everything always goes back to an election. Right. So, but I, I guess the question is, and I've heard this from a lot, a lot of people that are familiar with international affairs in the Caribbean, is the question that they keep kind of going back to and and it's and it's an odd question i know so give me a little bit of leeway here jeffing is when we see somewhat of the economic stability on the other side of the island in the dominican republic and then and the the total instability in haiti is it, it just seems like that doesn't make sense to you know, the general electorate here in the United States of saying, why do we keep dealing with this? Can't they manage themselves? What is the large uh, difference, I guess, is the only word I could use between how we see the DR as this destination resort and then Haiti as this country in need of leadership, direction and identity? Well, Where are we going with that? Well, let me tell you, one of the things that I, I, I like to tell people as a Caribbean correspondent is the problems that you see in Haiti, they exist around the region and they certainly exist in the Caribbean, right. in the Dominican Republic. Right. You know, when, when Haitians leave the shores of Haiti, they're trying to get to Florida. They're trying to get to the U.S. through Florida. When they leave, when Dominicans leave, they go to Puerto Rico or they go to the Eastern Caribbean. Let's not fool ourselves and not think that there isn't poverty, there isn't, you know, a migration issue. You know, what I say is one of the big differences between between Haiti and the Dominican Republic is that they have skyscrapers, right? <laughs> and, and, and they have put this huge investment in, in in tourism and in this marketing, and this is what and this is what you see. But that economy is being held up by low wage. Haitian workers. So I so I think that we need to be clear on that. And at one point, Haiti was developing even faster than the Dominican Republic. I've talked to American ambassadors and they often, you know, sort of qualify it by saying, well, you know, the, the, the Dominicans had, you know, benevolent dictators as opposed to Haiti that, you know, that did not. Uh, but there was one, uh, you know, one ambassador uh, 
not actually a former U.S. diplomat who's now retired, but I think he put it best. He says, Haiti is the one place where the United States has had um, countless interventions and they don't play baseball. And what he means by <laughs> I, I mean, we shouldn't laugh at that. that, that, no, that but, it, but the reality. It moves to its own beats. That the problem, I think, that 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 you know, I think you you cannot talk about. Yes, Haiti shares its responsibility for for the problems and the political instability, but the U.S. and others cannot say we had nothing to do with this. I mean, from the 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 creation of this country in the in, in the fact that you know the U.S. refused to recognize its independence, France made it pay for its independence. There was a 19-year occupation of Haiti by the United States that brought not just the construction of roads, but its own sort of racial profiling. Um, you know, when you when you looked at terms of the diplomacy of Haiti, it was, you know, light-skinned Haitians, um, you know, it sort of matched what was going on in right. the United States in terms of the issue of race at the time, you know, and that was transplanted to to the islands. The fact that, you know, often, you know, whether diplomats like to admit it or not, they're a lot more comfortable with Haitians who speak English or who went to American schools or right. who spent some time in the United States. And so often others who are French-speaking or who are not necessarily, you know, you know, flying the U.S. flag often are not consulted. I think that all of these, unfortunately, play into how these policies, uh, you know, have have shaped up or have not shipped out. And in the last couple of years, the biggest issue has been this sort of been this one-sided discussion. I mean, today you have in Haiti this generation of younger Haitians who basically want to, you know, raise the the the, the noise on the issue of corruption. You know, they're demanding answers, they're asking questions. And they really haven't received right. much support, you know, out to the, uh, from the outside world or, or on this issue. Now, you brought up the the active youth that's kind of sparking a new dialogue in Haiti. But since we're going there, we also have to look at the youth and uh, the effect that the gangs have in uh, in Haiti, you know, when we look at, you know, the, the most prominent one is the uh, the G9, which took hostage recently, the 17 missionaries from Ohio. Oh, no, no, no. Correct me on that one, Jack. Yeah. So the G9 is a federation of gangs. Um, yes, they've been prominent because their their leader is a former police officer named Barbecue, Jimmy Sherizia. Right. But what you also have is another gang called Katsamauzo, that they are the ones who took hostage the 17 Americans, well, 17 missionaries, 16 Americans and one Canadian. And more than a month later, they remain hostages. They remain right. captive. Are they, and thanks for that clarification, so when we see, Gina, when we see Mozo, is, is there, is that the future, is there a prominent gang culture that could be developing in Haiti, a la MS-13, where we see that the country could be, you know, the youth that we see are going to draw towards gang culture as opposed to change in effect in their own country? 
Yeah, that is very much, I mean, scary. I mean, you know, we are watching the the beginning of something that really didn't exist, right? You know, yes, in 2004, we had, there was talk of what you call the quote-unquote chimeras, right? We started right. to see these gangs and we saw the use. And then what happened in 2004? We had a UN peacekeeping force that, that, that came in after President Aristide, you know, went into exile. Uh, and then, you know, again, why is it today we're seeing the problems when you had such involvement from the international community? You had a United Nations peacekeeping mission in this country. You had billions of dollars of aid promised in 2010. Um, but yet here we are looking at a country that some have started to compare to Somalia, you know, as if a country where there was no foreign intervention at, you know, at all. So what happened? You know, I'm thinking of a place like City Soleil, which today is seeing, you know, gang violence is happening there. And just a few years ago, five years ago or less, you know, people were able to walk into City Soleil. You and I could go into City Soleil. Um, it, it, it had been transformed because there had been a lot of work and a lot of investment that had come into that community. And today it is a it, it's a no go zone. So, right. you know, again, I think one of the things that have happened over the years is that when we've seen um, you know, these, these assistance programs, they don't stick with it. You know, um, someone once said, you know, the outside world will come in and they will offer Haiti a Cadillac. Well, that Cadillac is great as long as it's running and somebody else is paying for it. But then the day they decide that they stop paying for it, Haiti then can't support it. And so, you know, now you've created another problem and there is this sort of damaging effect. So would it have been better not to even offer the Cadillac to begin with? And, right. and this is what we, the narrative that we see over and over and over again. So today you have a gang problem that's happening in this country. You have a lot of young people who don't see a future, who don't see any hope. The ones who are being put into to guard the, the kidnapped victims, you know, they're making maybe what? 50 cents a day they're getting from these right. gang leaders that are collecting, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and so what, you know, so when you, when I hear the U.S. say you put $5 million, you're going to put $5 million into these programs and, you know, for these, these, these slums, $5 million is a, is a, is a drop in a bucket. You know, what you need, you know, there's so much more that needs. There needs to be social services. There needs to be opportunities. You know, again, where has the money and the assistance gone? And again, the, in the, in the Haitian government what have you done to 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 to, to counter that well let, let's talk about the haitian government for example you know we you know you've done extensive reporting on uh governance in haiti but we you know it didn't come to real prominence until we saw you know the the tragic assassination of president moisa is what was that murder and that's basically what it was was that assassination a wake-up call not only for the haitian people but for the hemispheric powers that we have canada the u.s other regional players or is are we going to kind of brush away this opportunity well, that's what people are asking, whether or not they're going to brush away this opportunity. Because prior to the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise on the 7th of July in his private residence, you know, you had marches, you had, you know, people in the streets protesting. Um, you know, they were saying that this man was going to become, uh, you know, a, the next dictator in Latin America and the Caribbean. He was pushing through a new um, constitution with the support of some 
foreign actors in an international community, despite the fact that lawyers, constitutional scholars in Haiti was saying that this was illegal, this was unconstitutional because the current constitution from 1987 does not allow for change vis-a-vis -vis referendum. He was ruling by decree. Oftentimes the criticism that we heard was not um, toward him was, you know, there was this support that the international community was, was, was giving President Jovenel Moise. And so when he was assassinated, you know, all of a sudden everybody's paying attention to Haiti because nobody was, you know, was, was paying attention before that. One of the changes that we saw, for instance, out of the Biden administration, which had basically taken up the mantra of the Trump administration saying, you know, elections, elections, elections. And they were like elections at all costs, despite the fact that you had this gang violence, you had this rampant kidnapping, you had all of these issues. And people were saying, no, and, and we don't trust, to, you know, to go to elections with, you know, with this president. But everybody was tuning them out. They were ignoring them. In fact, one member of the Trump administration, the State Department, basically threatened um, the, the civil society groups, which includes the churches, the human rights groups, and basically right. said, if you don't play ball, there's going to be a price to pay. And suddenly the president is killed. And all of a sudden, okay, the, the, well, we're going to go to elections when the time is right. You know, all, all, all of a sudden, everybody saw, saw, you know, saw the problems. But yes, a president was dead, and this was awful, and this was the fifth president in, in Haitian history. But a year before this president was assassinated, the head of the Port-au-Prince Bar Association was also assassinated just right. down the street from the president's house. You know, that should have been a wake-up call. After he went, you know, gave a, a public interview on the radio criticizing this whole constitutional referendum, you know, move. So here we are today, a president is dead. Five weeks later, you had um, a devastating earthquake, another earthquake, right. everybody seemed to have forgotten about it. You've got, you know, a surge in gang violence that now we're seeing Americans that are, 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 are victims, although they've been victims before, but they were basically Haitian Americans, but now they're white Americans. Um, and people are sort of looking at Haiti and saying, wow, you know, oh, wow, what's, you know, what's, what's going on here? But at the same time, what we're hearing from the administration is, uh, oh, we should, we should remember the migration crisis, right? On the southern border. Right. Uh, we're going to get to that too as well, Jack. The response that we're hearing is, okay, Haitian solutions to Haitian problems, because now what's happening says, well, you all are telling us that we are meddlers. We're always meddling. We're always putting our hands on a balance scale. And, you know, we're always doing this and that. So today we're basically going to allow you to come up with your own solutions. And unfortunately, what we're right. seeing in Haiti is this continued division among groups, you know, uh, that it's a power struggle, you know, it's, it's, right. it's it, 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 and, and unfortunately, where is this power struggle going to go? Because in the midst of it, the victims are the population that just, you know, a week ago was running out of potable water because of a gang aggravated fuel crisis. Hospitals were turning people away. People were actually dying. Schools were closed. Banks and businesses were closed. People were laid off their jobs. Right. It was getting worse. All of this because you cannot get fuel because the gangs were blocking the terminals that provided the fuel. We, I mean, it, there also seems to be a, a vicious circle going on in Haiti. I mean, you're talking about a population where a majority make less than two dollars a day but at the same time gas currently is over 15 16 dollars a gallon which makes it unaffordable only, no gas is that price only because it was unavailable but the reality is that the gas in haiti is being subsidized by the government and that price should actually 
behind, it should be what the market is, right? The government is basically subsidizing fuel prices and that puts it in a position where it's unable to provide social services to address some of the, the issues of the population. So doesn't that, doesn't that, I mean, doesn't that beg the question that, you know, we're in a, can they run a democracy where robbing Peter to pay Paul is kind of the, the mantra here? Is that sustainable? It's not sustainable, but you know, but but you have a government that's traumatized because the last time they tried to, you know, raise gas prices in 2019, you know, all of a sudden the country got shut down for, you know, for days that which led into weeks and months. You had international flights that that you know that basically canceled because the streets were on, on, on fire. It's all about right. governance and how do you and how do you manage that, right? And and it means like you know maybe you turn to the IMF, but that will require you to open your books. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, there's so many things to unwrap and 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 I, I guess we can call the situation in Haiti complicated is that it is the right very, word yes it, the situation in Haiti is very complicated um you, you know just as a journalist when I approach it you know it, it's always you know what you see never truly is what it is um but it you have to have the political will right you have to be willing to risk another 2019 um if it means that you're going to be able to have some money to provide social services so that you can start to rebuild some hope or some credibility with the population because that's what's missing right now right people have sort of given up i mean you know um I, you know they have this sort of low expectation uh, of everyone you know whether it's the international community that's supporting you know programs or whether it's the government that is supposed to be providing you know free education that isn't free because you know everybody's in charge of their fiefdom everybody's running a fiefdom they're charging fees when they're not supposed to um you know so if you are in charge your job is going to have to be how do you put governance back in this country and how do you rebuild institutions so that it doesn't matter who's sitting in the prime minister's office it doesn't matter who's sitting in the, pa the palace you have institutions that can stand up and push back if and when it needs to, to happen so jenny I, I, I guess the question now is as we look at the current state and even looking down the road in haiti uh is there an individual is there a group that is potentially or could potentially stand up and be the future leadership in Haiti? Is there somebody we should look to? Is there somebody that the is U.S. and the Is there a Messiah, right? Who's, who's the Haitian Messiah? Right. Well, since we're talking about foreign policy, here I'm going to answer that question to you another way. Sure. The problem with that is that in the last couple of years, when we've seen groups or individuals attempt to take the lead on, on, on issues. What comes out of the diplomatic core is they were paid to do that. They're being paid to do that. Somebody gave them some money, what have you. So what you do with this is that you discourage, you, you, you break people down. So unfortunately today, I can't answer this question for you because you know, the narrative that's been put out there is that if you see somebody being vocal, that, you know, they're being paid or, you know, there's something that's in it, you know, in it for them. Like I mentioned to you that there are, you know, this new generation of, of, of young Haitians 
who, you know, don't want to leave the country, right? That they say, this is my country. We want a different kind of country. Uh, a few years ago, they started this whole campaign called Petrocaribe. Where is Petrocaribe? This is money that right. Haiti received from his relationship with Venezuela with oil, you know, oil rebates. And right. money was basically wasted, you know, almost $2 billion after the earthquake. It was the only money that Haiti truly controlled after the earthquake. Um, and what we saw that there was a and lot that was the Haitian deal with Ada Vesa. Exactly. Correct. Uh, and, and government reports, you know, that if written by the country's um, own comptroller's office, their equivalent of RGAO, basically said this money was basically embezzled, right? But when, you know, this campaign started, the individuals who were involved, they didn't get any... Um, you know, support in the international community. As a matter of fact, there was a UN, the, the, the head of the UN office in Haiti, I remember Susan Page, she right. basically brought up concerns about corruption and she was considered persona non grata. The president of Moise basically had her recall and the UN supported, you know, supported his right to do that. So I can't answer that question to you today because people have been beaten down and they, every time they've tried to put their head out there, they basically get pushed back. Well, th and that, that would logically beg the question is, we've been down this road before with Haiti. Why should Americans and our government be concerned or care? about Haiti? I know that's a rough question, and I, and I don't mean to sound uh, so callous about it, but that is a dialogue that we hear among some, even here in Washington, is why should we give a darn about Haiti? Because people in Haiti will tell you that the United States is, has, is just as responsible for this mess uh, <laughs> uh, as, as, as others. That U.S. decisions and U.S. interventions over the years have contributed to the present-day crisis. That you have a very large and vibrant Haitian-American community in the United States. And every time we see there's an election, whether it's on a local or a state level, or what you saw with President Biden when he came to uh, Miami, uh, you know, he, they're basically going to this community and saying, that we need your vote or because of the fact that this is a country that is just off of our shores and do we want a quote unquote Somalia not in our backyard but literally in our front yard yesterday I'm sorry two days ago 63 Haitians washed up in the Florida Keys in a, a wooden sailboat that had been on the ocean for three weeks this hasn't happened in over two years. Everybody's been fixated on the southern border of the United States, but those Haitians who are arriving, they've been in Chile and Brazil or Mexico for the most part for the last five or 10 years. But these are people coming now directly from Haiti who arrived in Florida. And when I talk to people, you know, who are much more, you know, intelligent about this stuff, smarter than me, they, you know, they have PhDs and they study this. They always like to say that U.S. policy on Haiti is always about keeping Haitians out and it's about Haitian migration. So what happened two days ago is one of the worst nightmare scenarios. And the longer that this administration is ambiguous about its sort of Haiti policy or what it's going to do or what its role is going to be, you're going to reach a point where this crisis is just going to get even deeper and deeper. And whatever options that it was it faces today that are no good options, those options are going to be taken out of its hands because it's going to have to react in, 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 in a different kind of way. Is the question, can we save Haiti? And I mean, we, the global community, even, you know, the, the, the hemispheric 
powers. I that's the wrong. I think that's the wrong approach because it, it's this whole savior mentality that's also contributed to the disaster. I mean, after the twenty, we're going to save Haiti because we're going to promise, you know, um, billions and billions of dollars in aid. And I hate to tell you this, but the world did not keep its promise to Haiti with those billions and billions of dollars of aid. They said to Haiti, "We don't trust you to manage your own money." Um, and they're entitled to that. But at the same time, they didn't live up to their bargain of the promise. And here's an example. Today, you have the General Hospital in Haiti, which is supposed to be uh, a joint project between the Haitian government, the French government, and the United States. They promised that they were going to build this hospital. And because during the 2010 earthquake, the, the General Hospital, which is the largest public hospital in this country, that hospital basically collapse. I mean, part, a large part right. did. So they were going to build this hospital. How long are we now? 12 years after the earthquake, the hospital still has not opened its front doors. I, I, I guess now we, we look at it and say, is, and I'm trying to think of the right way to put this because there are so many ways to uh, unwrap the current situation in Haiti, but can, with with a with a culture of corruption at the highest levels in government, with the gang culture that's developing there, can Haiti resurrect itself out Haiti, of the current state? Haiti can resurrect itself out of the current state. The challenge is going to be what kind of support um, does the international community provide Haiti to allow Haiti to resurrect itself. I think that unfortunately with the criticism that's come out um, of Haiti about the role of the U.S. and others and putting its hand on, on, on the, the scales, that things have gotten lost in translation. I think anybody who's saying that the U.S. and others are not going to be involved in Haiti, they're fooling themselves. I think that probably the, the, the message needs to be that we need you to be more of a partner and not an overseer. Um, that, you know, when you're having meetings in Washington about programming or how you're going to provide assistance to Haiti, the people who are invited to those meetings in Washington should also include Haitian organizations on the ground that are doing it. It should not include people just from the Beltway or, or and this is what continues to happen. This is the problem, right. you know, that you have people, you know, aid organizations, yes, we're doing great work, but at the same time, you need Haitian organizations. You need to show Haitian organizations that you also trust them, that you also, you trust them to give them financing. You trust them to, to understand the, the needs on the ground, to understand their own people. You trust them to come up with programs and, and, and sort of assistance. Why is it that after all of these years in this country that was once known as the, you know, re the Republic of NGOs, that there is not one town in Haiti that I can go to and I can point out an individual to you and say that this person is educated because this NGO finance their education. They're healthy because this one, you know, finance healthcare, you know, they're employed because this one created jobs. We don't have that holistic approach. Everything has been patch patch patchwork or right. piecemealed over the years. So I think that today what you're looking at is an opportunity that you have a country that's in a deepening crisis. It's basically heading toward anarchy. Things are the worst than they've ever been before. And rather than, you know, saying there's Haiti fatigue, which I'm now seeing turning into inertia, which I think is worse than fatigue, um, that it should be all hands on deck and say, okay, how can we support or what is it that we did in the past 
that didn't work and how can we fix that and make it better? You know, you know, Haiti is not Central America. Haiti is not Africa. Haiti is not the Dominican Republic. So whatever right. you bring to the table in Haiti, it has to address, it has to match Haiti. It has to speak to that country, its history, its culture, its experiences. But it doesn't mean that you just decide that you're going to do nothing because you're being criticized and you don't want to be accused of meddling. Right. And we've, we've got a couple of minutes left here, uh, Jacqueline, and, you know, we talk about the future and the current state. Right now, we had talked earlier about the youth and the voice of the youth there in Haiti. Does the future of the country lie in the voice of the youth? And can that voice be directed away from gang culture to a better Haiti? That's the whole future of the country. I mean, this is a country where the majority of the population, 11.5 million, are in their 20s. This is a this is a young country, and so if you don't find a way to support um, that voice, to support that generation, whether it be through um, you know education, through organ organizing, um, whether it be through human rights literacy, then. <laughs> All of this will be far worse and it will have been for nothing. You know, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that people have said to me that has been missing the last couple of years is the support to civil society that we used to see um, in Haiti, maybe like a decade ago. There was a lot of support that was given to civil society groups. You know, you you answer you asked a question at the beginning, sort of how did we get here? And I and I used to think about that a lot. And, and if I, you know, I don't want to be guilty of oversimplifying, but one of the things that I felt like you know, one, uh, you know, the day the dictatorship fell, somebody announced, got on a bullhorn and said, okay, we're now in democracy, you have democracy. But no one bothered to do the groundwork and explain to people what democracy meant, that your power is in your vote, that when you go and you vote somebody, you don't have to keep them there forever. And that every time you go to the polls, you, whether you continue somebody or not, you base it on the question, is my life today better or worse than it was five years ago? You know, and I covered Jamaica and this was something that I saw in Jamaica every year, despite the fact, every five years, despite the fact that, yeah, people try to buy votes, you know, you're always going to have corruption. Whatever. You have corruption in the United States. You're not going to do away with it. But right. what you do is you empower people to make decisions for themselves. If somebody wants to buy my vote, sure, you give me your $20, but at the end of the day, I am going to decide whether or not you're going to buy my vote or not, because I'm going to decide based on my life and what's happening, whether I am better off today than I was five years ago. So have you done anything? If you haven't done anything, then I'm voting you out. And I think that that is the challenge in Haiti today. How do you get Haitians to once again believe in the right. power of their vote, believe in themselves, that they can take direction in their future and they can help this country turn the corner that it needs to go? Last question. Do you see a brighter future for Haiti? I do see a brighter future for Haiti because when you hit rock bottom, there's only one way to go. It's to the top. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jack and Charles of the Miami Herald, thank you so much for a great discussion. Hope to have you on again. Thanks for having me. For more information on the subject you just heard about or any of our articles, reports, or events, log on to nycfpa.org. Also, 
please consider subscribing to Message Traffic on your favorite podcast service like Apple, Google, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. You can also follow us on social media by searching for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For questions regarding the center, or just to let us know what you were thinking, you can email us at info at nycfpa.org. On behalf of the board and staff of the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs, thank you for listening.